Welcome to this, the first edition of The Weatherman. I am Dylan Radigan. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm actually in Italy, so it's the evening here. Our producer, Meg Robertson, uh, is in New York, and David DeGraw, our other producer, is in Los Angeles. Our callers all coming from North America today. Um, if you're listening to this right now, you probably read the launch email describing our objective with this call, which is uh, relatively simple, and it's a, our own unique take, if you will, on the idea of a podcast. Um, when both David, Meg, and myself were discussing the idea of doing this, what became clear to us was uh, that we all have a lot of respect and appreciation for what's happening in the podcast universe, especially uh, those that are doing a wide variety of one-on-one -on -one interviews uh, with various experts on specific subjects about specific things. But what we were really looking at was what's missing uh, from the podcast universe. And our opinion was as follows. We felt that there isn't a place where all of us can speak as a group, even if it's a series of one-on-one -on -one conversations, uh, about our collective experience in a way that creates context for each of us um, about what we're calling uh, the shift. And this shift is something that each of us is feeling in our own way. Some of us are very sensitive to the technological aspects of it. Some of us are very sensitive to the spiritual aspects of it. Uh, this very podcast is a demonstration of the communication aspects uh, of it. And in, in fact, uh, we're across nine time zones right now, uh, but gathered together at this particular moment to have this conversation. Uh, and you know, when you look at the chaos of the news cycle, and this is not going to be a podcast about the news cycle, obviously, uh, but when you look at the chaos of the news cycle, uh, I, I look at it as a series of events that are constantly without context, that are constantly without awareness, and that are basically like an open nerve ending that's in a constant state of reactivity, even if it doesn't know uh, that to which it is reacting. And the goal with the weatherman is to try to create some of that context to help understand uh, why our politics are so extreme uh, and so reactive uh, as it is responding to the threat that the shift represents, the threat uh, of all of us connecting with one another, uh, the threat uh, of creating a system of power and solution and problem solving that's not based on a centralized command and control uh, enemy uh, versus or tribal uh, enemy and blame culture, but rather one of mutual awareness and mutual understanding uh, that can be driven into not a world of fear and reactivity, but to an increasingly clear and calm place where we start to understand at the very least how and why our emotions and our thoughts treat us the way that they do, or ex we experience them the way that we do, and at the same time, how we project those emotions and thoughts out into the world around us, whether it's those whom, with whom we immediately share our lives, whether it's our, our siblings or our parents or our spouses uh, or our children, or whether it's how we project ourselves into the world professionally, uh, and whether we do that in a way uh, that is perhaps uh, more fearful than it needs to be, perhaps more aggressive than it needs to be, or perhaps more vulnerable uh, and more uh, more of a sense of powerlessness uh, than it needs to be. One of the interesting things that I've been able to, to see 
um, from a, a fairly unique lifestyle that I've had and will continue to have uh, in the months ahead is a consistent change of location in my life from country to country and continent to continent. And so many of the stories that are prevalent in America or the perceptions and myths that are that are prevalent in America uh, that are driven by a sense of uh, whatever the issue may be, whatever the, the concern may be, uh, there's such a rapid desire to find fault. Uh, that it is the, that it is the fault of the political system, that it is the fault of the economic system, that it is the fault uh, of some other group. And it's not even that those fault-finding missions are misguided or inaccurate. Frequently, uh, very intelligent people can identify uh, that there are there is causality with the political system and the economic system. I certainly uh, can find fault with the political and economic system, uh, but I'm not sure that the value for us lies in finding fault, but rather the value for us at this particular moment relies on our ability to pause and understand the experience we are having individually and collectively in a way that before we start to jump into action, before we start to jump into some aggressive posture that's for or against something, some form of activism or some form of protest, that we take a moment to actually see and understand what it is that is happening. And when I, when I refer back to what it is that is happening, what I'm talking about is this shift. So yes, political extremism is clearly on the rise. Yes, the economic system is clearly centralized and increasingly uh, difficult for anyone to navigate in a way that has any value for the individual. But why is that happening? And I argue that the reason that is happening is because of this shift. And the shift across the spectrum of every expression of self, again, technologically, communication, transportation, economic, political, spiritual, social, is something that is incredibly empowering for each of us, but at the same time, incredibly terrifying for each of us in its own way, even if it's not always conscious. And it's particularly terrifying and particularly empowering at times for those who have the most power. And for those who have the most power that are the most threatened, they react in a way that is extremely and increasingly aggressive to defend that power position. As they defend that power position, they do it in a way that it's at the cost of so many of us. But the point that I want to express before we get into the calls is however unique I or you or anyone may feel their particular experience is in this. And it's not that my experience or your experience isn't completely unique. It is. It is to understand that each one of us is actually having our own unique experience in the context of a universal change that's not just something that's shared between each of us as individuals inside of America, per se, but it's being experienced across individuals around the world. It's not just in America where people perceive the economic system or the political system um, to be unrepresentative or corrupt or dysfunctional. It is in every country around the world. Uh, there are people in Asia, people in Europe, people in South America, people across this globe that are more connected to each other than they've ever been, who are share the common experience of complete and utter distrust of the political and economic system, whether it is in Thailand, whether it's in Russia, 
whether it's in Mexico, whether it's in Brazil, South America, I won't, I won't list a bunch of countries for you. I, I, I get the point, but you, you, and you also get the point and that awareness, I hope over time, as we do this program, and we're going to do it on a regular basis with as many callers as we can possibly talk to, and we can pick any litany of subjects because uh, basically our editorial lens is through that of the shift and then the chaos that's created by the shift. Well, the good thing for all of us, and maybe the bad thing is there's no shortage of chaos and the expression of chaos uh, can range from the most literal uh, of something like the coronavirus, which in and of itself may not even be that threatening, but the panic around the potential threat uh, is perhaps vastly more chaotic than the actual disease uh, or the actual virus, I should say, itself. And it's that awareness of the fact that we can start to integrate this understanding and allow us to take a breath and a beat before we allow the emotions to take us over and drag us down a river of chaos in a way that makes it virtually impossible to understand ourselves or to understand anybody else for that matter. The other thing that's so convenient right now is blame. And, and it goes to that fault finding. But as soon as we go into that blaming construct, we've disempowered ourselves, which is not to say that we individually have so much power to solve every problem, but it is to say that as long as we're looking for who's to blame for whatever the issue may be, we're no longer in a position where we're able to have awareness for why this is happening and where we might be able to redirect our attention to places where we can empower ourselves more thoroughly and more completely as opposed to disempowering ourselves by virtue of looking at the things that we feel we have the least control over. I will do my best to serve as a moderator and uh, as a literal weatherman, giving you a sense of what I'm hearing as I not only move around the world, but also have the benefit of talking to so many of you. And ultimately, in the spirit of the relay radio uh, of the past, uh, my ability to serve as the weatherman will only be as good uh, as your willingness to report in what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and what you're thinking so that everyone else that is gathered around this broadcast can not only hear uh, my perspective per se and my thoughts, but can get a sense of your thoughts and your perspective because it is the collective assemblage of all of this information that will ultimately potentially create a way to move through the chaos that's being created by this shift and start to move us incrementally, moment by moment, breath by breath, day by day, into increasingly longer periods of clarity. The thing with chaos is, and, it, and there's such a, such a strong impulse to avoid it emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually, it is only through enduring the chaos that the clarity can emerge. I think of the chaos as a, as a, as a furnace, as a heater, and that that chaos, as it heats what may have previously been a more stagnant or paralyzed situation, however uncomfortable it may be, it's only through navigating that chaos that then the clarity can start to emerge. And it's only possible to navigate any of that chaos or even accept it in our lives if we have enough perspective to understand that as unpleasant as it may be at times, 
that it is a necessary step in the process to moving into that clarity. And that ultimately is the goal of what this podcast aims to be uh, and hopefully will be starting right now as we are in our inaugural edition. And I want to, in that, in, in that moment, uh, welcome our first caller, uh, Marie Mulateri. I hope I said your last name correctly, Marie. It's, um, it's a pleasure to have you be the first ever caller in the history of the weatherman. How are you today? <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me on. Um, for, before we get into your question, where, where are you, Marie? I'm currently in Clarksville, Tennessee, just about okay. 50 minutes north of Nashville. How's the weather? Um, cool. It's about 50 degrees, cloudy. All right. All right. Um, and why did you decide, to, what, what provoked you to, to, to join in the, the first episode here? Well, I've followed you, Dylan, for quite a few years, ever since the, uh, the rant. <laughs> okay. And... Um, I have enjoyed seeing your progression and we've sort of um, aligned and uh, I too have um, ventured into the political arena. I ran for Congress in 2012 and thinking that that was going to be the solution for the problems ailing mankind. Um, once you start getting really into the system, uh, you can see all of the um, quagmire that just slows everything down. So I came to the realization that if I really wanted to be of any change, that it was going to have to be from the bottom up. I remember What does that mean to you, bottom up? Well, it means that we, the people, are the solution. It means that we find our passions and we come together around those passions and we work together to bring solutions. Can you give me an example? Yes, as a matter of fact, um, this past weekend, I was at a conference for a new company that I recently associated with, uh, it's called Experient. And Sunday morning, they had a speaker from a local um, branch of a national organization called A21. Uh, A21 has been uh, fighting to abolish slavery or human trafficking for 10 years. Okay. What are the techniques and mechanisms? I'm most interested in, 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 in sort of why you feel like this, uh, this particular group or what, what is it about the techniques of this group that is appealing to you or that you admire or that you want the rest of us to understand? Well, that's a great question, Dylan. Um, I had no idea that the problem of human trafficking was, ex it was such an extent. In fact, it is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world, reaping in about $150 billion annually. What really impressed me with A21, I want to tell you there wasn't a dry eye in the audience, um, is that um, they prepped, their strategy is reach, rescue, and restore. So they're reaching out, they're uh, educating about the problem of human trafficking, educating the public as to the, the signs so that we can identify it. They are actually rescuing um, the victims 
and then they're restoring them to a normal life. They provide everything from uh, medical care, lodging, uh, they're retrained so that they can support themselves so that they're not drawn back into uh, being a victim. Do you, do you feel like the, this idea, this architecture, this community organizing architecture of, of reach, rescue and restore, which obviously is being applied to here to one of the more horrifying and extreme examples of uh, sort of the most negative aspects of, of humanity. And by the way, the shift creates so many more opportunities for things like this to manifest because of the transportation communication network being as efficient as it is for things that are much lighter and more positive forces and more giving in the world. It also empowers our darkest and, and most primal and destructive impulses. That's the, the issue with the shift ultimately is that it is entirely valueless. It's, it's just a, a set of tools uh, that is either applied with the intention to benefit others or the intention to destroy uh, and harm others. And so it's an interesting thing. And it's not that I don't have a particular concern for human trafficking. I think it's actually obviously um, one of the worst, if not the worst possible expression of the negative of the dark forces of the shift. But what I find interesting about what you're sharing is the idea that when you are dealing with the dark forces of the shift, that you can be disempowered by that, or as this group that you've just discussed, A21, which we can, uh, again, help people learn more about this particular group for those who have an interest in this particular issue. But the idea of organizing around communication, the reach, the rescue, and the restoration is it seems like it's a, a technique or what you're describing is a technique that that is not only applicable to the issue of human trafficking but perhaps uh more largely uh, as something that could be applicable to to so many of the dark manifestations of the, of this shift do you do you do you see that the the broader applicability of the of the philosophy I, I really do, um, Dylan. It's it is a good strategy, and it's one that any person can uh, start a group around whatever they're passionate about and reach out and make the change happen. You know, A twenty one was started by a woman who was walking through an airport and saw um, a poster, and that was her first, you know, um, awareness of human trafficking. And then and now it's developed and they're in 17 different countries. And, um, you know, and this is not just outside the United States. 50,000 humans are trafficked into the United States. And we have an event coming up right now, which is the Super Bowl, where um, victims are being shipped in um, for, for the event. So we all have a responsibility of learning the signs, how to identify a victim, reporting it so that they can be rescued and restored. Reach, rescue, and restore as the organizing principle to intervene on, on the darkest uh, forces of the shift. And I can think of no more honorable or appropriate application of those values uh, than that uh, of human trafficking. Marie, thank you for being the first caller in the history of the weatherman. You will go uh, immediately 
into David DeGraw's Hall of Fame of Weatherman Callers, if only by virtue of being the first one in the very history of the program, Dee Marie. So thank you well, so much. Well, it was my privilege. Time. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Enjoy your winter in Tennessee. Uh, I, I want to uh, move uh, to uh, Blair Bringelson, uh, who was a, not only an entrepreneur, but left us a really um, vulnerable and honest voice message, um, not only about his career, but, but about his some of his own personal exploration and personal challenges in, in finding uh, his own internal balance and, 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 and a path forward. It's almost, a, it, in some ways, I suppose, the idea of reach, rescue, and restore uh, could apply to, to some of what your experience uh, is or was. Is that, is that a fair characterization, Blair? Hey, Dylan. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Good. Good. Where are you? Denver, Colorado. How is it out there? You guys have snow or no snow? What's going on in Colorado? Well, we actually had a little bit of frost this morning, so it is right. pretty chilly, okay. actually. All right. Well, the flowers are blooming in Italy, I'll tell you. It's, I, 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 I'm not going to complain about the, my day today over here. It's, it's quite nice. I'm jealous. Um, <laughs> um, so what's on your mind? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, as you mentioned, um, <clears throat> I've been a serial entrepreneur, you know, for about a decade and, and product developer and, um, yeah, really set out to, you know, make my own way and try to experience life in a way that is fulfilling, you know, for me. And with that has come, you know, some some situations that have been very challenging for me. Like there's there was a time in my life when I had, you know, a fair amount of money that I came into that I hadn't previously really experienced. And so um, it, it ended up essentially leading to a place of, um, you know, uh, physical dependence on substances and addiction became a part of my story for many years. And so, you know, as, um, as an addict in recovery, you really beat yourself up, you know, you really beat yourself up, you punish yourself and you endure a lot of suffering. And so in terms of kind of this shift in this landscape and how you kind of presented this thesis, you know, where my mind went to was just the reality of, what it's like to live in this world of social media, what it's like to live in this world of where everybody out here, we all sort of have our personal brand and appearances to keep up through Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and such. And how the challenges that come along with that when things aren't going great, you know, and just how hard it is to be honest and be vulnerable and be, and be in this space where we're always constantly comparing ourselves to others. Um, well, the, well, the thing is, you're not even comparing yourself to others. You're comparing yourselves, or we are comparing ourselves, uh, to others' projections of the aspiration of how they want to be seen. Yes, exactly. Which is which is a which is then uh, you know a madhouse of, of now you've just entered a, the the hall of emotional torture. You know, one hundred percent and. Um, so, so, you know, and also along the lines of um, sort of a sidestep from that, but also just, um, you know, social isolation and sort of loneliness has been a theme in my life that I've recognized more recently in the last couple of years. As a result, I mean, the way that I perceive it, in part at least, is by, you know, not necessarily nurturing um, these valuable relationships in my life and being sort of at arm's length and, and seeing people and checking in on people virtually. Uh, but therefore, maybe leading to a lack of personal connection and conversation and, and just connection, 
right? And so, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's been widely discussed as one of the great social ailments of our era uh, is this 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 sense of virtual connectivity. You have a you have a world of human beings sitting by themselves with their telephones, connecting with other human beings who are com- in complete isolation, trying to connect with other human beings on their telephones, and the actual act of interacting with another human being, absent having a telephone between the two of you, uh, is probably at an all-time low, uh, you yeah. know, and, and then that sort of opens up the emotional gap for everything from substance abuse to just basic isolation, self-loathing, and, and all those negative characteristics, which again, going back to the uh, the conversation with Dee Marie, it's so easy, it's not, it's not surprising that the first expressions and the first experiences of the shift are the more negative manifestations, because when you think of the shift, as basically just a fundamentally new set of tools, again, technological communication, transportation, social, spiritual, that when those tools come into being, come into availability, that it's the lower vibrations of ourselves, uh, particularly when we have societies in general that that exist in such a primal vibratory state so much of the time, and when you have an economy uh, a media economy, particularly, that is financed by the billions to create low vibrations and monetize them, and then you create these tools, it's not surprising that the first manifestations of the shift are these most negative ex- experiences, whether it's in the, the domain of addiction or in the domain of isolation. That's kind of the bad news. I mean, that's, that is the bad news. Um, but the good news is that Tools like this podcast, which is, again, an experiment at this point, it's a drop in the bucket, but it represents an aspiration to move through those lower vibrational experiences and those interactions and move ourselves towards a a higher sense of self or a higher vibrational expression of self in a way that I think will then naturally start to diminish the amount of pain that each of us experiences individually because of that, that, of that lower vibration uh, of self. What would you say was it that sort of allowed you to find a pathway to be, to, to move beyond the addiction a, a little bit? Like what, what, how did you, was, what, what, what did you find or what were you able to contact to, to find that? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, it's, it's a battle. Anyone that's dealt with substance abuse um, understands just how hard it really is. And it's, it was years of, you know, wanting, wanting um, a different way of life, wanting, you know, wanting to be free from the, you know, shackles of addiction. I, I wrote a little short story about it and what it's like. And it was just, you know, the, my family support system was, was a huge part of it. Um, and, you know, personal accountability and honesty and integrity was a big part. Like, again, it's not, it's really easy to be honest with somebody when you're doing great, but when you're not, that's when it gets challenging. And so I, I maintained, you know, a level of honesty with myself and with others around me. And I just kept working at it. You know, I reached out for help. I was honest. I was open. I, um, and it just took time. It took time. I don't, I don't really know how to necessarily answer how how no i think you did but i think you really just did and and, and it goes to because the thing that struck me about the the really thing that, that really stands out to me about your answer 
is it was human relationships, whether it was your human relationship with yourself or human relationships with your family or friends and, yeah. a, and a willingness to be vulnerable and a, and a sense of safety to, to, to be vulnerable around that, which at your original point going into the, our conversation being one where uh, the, the, you know, the social media universe and that is is antithetical to empowering vulnerability because it's constantly projecting this aspirational self, which then only exacerbates the pain because of the gap between wherever we are, are actually at emotionally and where we're projecting uh, into the universe emotionally. And, and, and I think it, it goes to, you know, when you think about DeMarie's reach, rescue and restore, that relationship that you're talking about is the reach, right? Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's in that reach and that willingness to make that reach um, that then whether it's self-rescue or community rescue can even begin and and the restoration process can go be underway and not to lift that literally DeMarie's metaphor, but you can see how perfectly it fits over addiction. And I'm not concerned particularly with your addiction. I'm, I'm the addiction is uh, a, a prevalent around the world. Uh, I mean, I was in, I was in, uh, in Thailand last month and they were moving millions and millions of pills across the border into Bangkok. I mean, the, the, the popularity of drugs and drug dependency is not a uniquely American experience, nor is the sense of isolation and vulnerability a uniquely American experience. It's a global experience. And I actually think that that's something that gets lost on all of us because whether you know you're 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 in Denver or 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 DeMarie's in Tennessee or, or or again David and Megan are working for us tonight from Los Angeles or this afternoon from Los Angeles uh and, and New York each of us and it goes to that original letter around the weatherman each of us ends up feeling that we're really isolated in our one little piece on the track you know there you were that you were alone on the side of the road in the Mexican desert at 3 a.m and oblivious to the fact that you're actually participating in a much larger collective experience and that you in your own moment are also sharing, even in that moment of that to of that isolation and that fear are actually still experiencing something that millions of other people are experiencing that exact same thing by themselves at that time. And I'm really grateful for you for calling in to talk to us about it, to not just to talk to, to have to be, it's an insight for me. You know, what do you do when somebody's inside the dark forces of the shift, whether it's the influences uh, or the gap between the projective reality and the internal reality? I really like that reach, rescue and restore as a as a mechanism for helping ourselves out of helping ourselves and helping each other uh, out of some of the, the dark forces of the shift. Is there anything you wanted to get to get off before we uh, move on here? Um <clears throat> No, I think you did a good job wrapping that up. I think it's uh, yeah. The, the flip side of 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 kind of the the dark side of it is that the community and and the internet has enabled you know some incredible things to 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 start to be researched and information to start to be more readily available to us regarding things like this that perhaps haven't had a ton of you know focus in the last few decades. But now yeah. new things coming out of this new this new connection and these different platforms that we have you know exactly like this podcast yeah so. well i mean again the issue with the shift is it's value agnostic it will destroy you as sure as it will save you and it really it's a matter it's a matter of where we where we collectively choose to point the tools but because there's so much horsepower in the shift 
when we are reckless with ourselves emotionally, when we are careless with ourselves emotionally, when we're careless with other people emotionally or physically for that matter, the capacity to do almost irreparable damage in a, in a remarkably short period of time is much higher than it has ever been because of the powers of the shift. That's the bad news. The good news is our ability to restore and rise is also more powerful and more rapid than it has ever been. And I, th I think that it's, just, it's a matter of, because we're not aware that the shift even exists, we're a little bit irresponsible with some of our own emotions and thoughts and feelings because we don't feel like they have as much consequence as they actually do. And as we're more aware of how powerful, how much force power is inside of the shift, it puts us in a situation where it forces us to take a little bit more responsibility or a lot more responsibility for where we are at in each moment of each day in terms of our thoughts and emotions because the consequences of that to either destroy or to elevate ourselves are so high. Listen, I, I really appreciate your time and your honesty and your candor and your insight and your story, Blair. Um, I hope we'll talk to you again soon, all right? That'd be great. We'd love to. Thank all you right. so much. All right. Uh, moving along here, the weatherman is uh, taking callers. Uh, we are live on Facebook. I am Dylan Radigan, uh, Dave DeGraw producing in Los Angeles, Meg Robertson uh, producing in New York. Uh, the subject, really, whatever you want it to be, as long as it has to do with the, the chaos and clarity of the shift, which pretty much covers everything, um, it's fair game. And our next caller uh, is Lainey Harshova. Uh, Lainey, are you there? Hi, yes, I'm here. Oh, yes, I'm here. You are um, I got um, a, we got a big yeah. reverb on you, Lainey. Are you on a, a mic or a headset or something, perhaps? Just um, my cell phone. Let me turn. Might have lost Lainey there. Maybe we'll come back and see if we can pick Lainey up with. Yeah, I, think I think she's fixed. If you want to try again. Okay, that was Meg. Hi, Meg. Hey, how's it going so far? <laughs> well, I mean, you tell me. You're, you know, you tell. You're the producer. I think it's good, but I think that was my first. That was my first technical mess up. So, Lainey, you should be good to go now. Okay, Lainey, are you there? Here, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Now I'm here. Got you. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. What's on your um, mind? No, I think it was Meg's fault. We're going to blame Meg, but since oh, the other okay, man's not Meg into, too. but we're but we're not into blaming. That's we know this with the shift we don't blame. <laughs> so we're just gonna. We're going to be all right. right. We're just going to be. Uh, Lainey, go ahead. Right. Well, um, I was just listening to the, to the previous callers and relating it to my own experience, like we all do. And um, I reached out because, well, I've been following you too since, since you were on MSNBC. And, and I've always just really responded to your brilliance and your passion. And um, I feel like everything that you're talking about is, is really right on. Um, individually and collectively. And I had my own issues over the last decade. Um, I had uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and was self-employed. So all that came in to be um, as a transformational period. And then as I was getting better, the economy tanked and I started dealing with issues with um, foreclosure and fighting for my home, which then turned me from the darkest aspects of depression and despair and trying to just get back up on my feet to then becoming this um, accidental activist, I guess, taking on the banking industry and consumer fraud issues, um, which 
like Blair was saying, it's kind of shame based when you feel like you can't cut it financially. Um, you feel alone and you feel depressed. And so I was using Facebook a lot and I was using, um, I was starting to write more and more and I got some articles published on occupy.com and then nation of change. And I got connected with some local organizations here in Southern California. I'm in Los Angeles. Um, one of which is called ACE Alliance of Californians for community empowerment. And I started working with them on my own issues and building my own case against the bank that was, perpetrating fraud, especially in the servicing aspect of my mortgage, not not the securities and the note and who has the note and all that stuff. I based it on servicing issues. And then I created groups on Facebook so that I didn't feel so depressed and alone. And then more and more people started to join the groups from all over the country and attorneys. And, um, and then the group here in Southern California um, asked if I had any desire to go to Des Moines and crash their shareholders meeting with a proxy ticket as a shareholder to get in. Um, so I did. And they had, it was amazing because it was so coordinated with all these other activist groups across the country. Um, we met in Des Moines at this community center and they delegated who would paint signs and be outside chanting and who the 10 of us would go inside and infiltrate the shareholders meeting and People addressed issues about the NRA and, and guns in schools. And there were Native Americans there about the Dakota Access Pipeline and praying for their grandchildren over the water and getting shot with the bank's rubber bullets. Um, and there were spiritual leaders there. And I was, I was dealing with my own issues, but um, also thousands of other people across the country dealing with the same issues in regard to losing their homes, which is so primal. So during the comments section, I raised my hand and I was called on by the CEO and I went and stood by this nun that had spoken and um, she's with the interface interface council for human rights violations by corporations. Her name's sister Nora Nash. Uh, she's amazing. And I addressed the issues that, I'd been dealing with, with this bank, I'm not allowed to uh, disparage them. So, but their headquarters is Des Moines, Iowa. So you can pretty much guess who it is, I guess. Um, and then they, the CEO asked if I would stay afterwards and discuss the issues with their mortgage team, um, which I did. But the thing that came out of all of this is that I was really depressed and feeling ashamed and feeling so isolated alone until I built my community online and my connections, which led to me being a source for Reuters reporters. And um, I had their internal process notes from, from the bank employees. Um, I learned so much. I mean, I was a, I was a theater major and I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur as well. I sell vintage home goods online, but this made me into this pit bull for a decade about things I had to learn in terms of the law and in terms of mortgage issues and banking. And finally they came to the table and they said, we don't want to go to trial. And I said, I do. My whole life's been leading to this. I think this is why I, I got better was because of this. And it gave my life more meaning to be able to fight rather than be destroyed by this 
stuff. And, and, and do you see how the shift actually creates pathways for, for, for somebody who, again, feeling as vulnerable as you've just described yourself feeling and understandably so at the yeah. same time, because of the, sh- because of what's going on with the shift, your ability to actually engage with others and find a pathway to claim more power for yourself and engage with people in a way that gave you a sense of being able to defend and protect yourself. And not only that, but it sounds like you put yourself in a situation where you had a meaningful ability to actually help other people um, in a way that you probably didn't even realize. Which is true, which is why, I, you know, if you build it and they will come kind of thing, which is what I did to not feel so alone myself and to feel like I kept thinking, am I crazy? And even certain people would say, why would you think a bank would mess with you like that? That they have way bigger fish to fry. And I kept saying, I swear to God, it's fraud. It's, I'm, I'm, and so I just started building my whole case on things that they did and backdated letters. And, and then I started creating these groups and then the Reuters reporter told me that his uncle took his own life from what I was dealing with, um, in regard to this bank. And, and then the, the nun was so great. She and I have now become friends and she offered me a retreat at a convent, um, in Pennsylvania, which I went. And I mean, weird wacko things that it's like you said, the light can come out of so much darkness if you just don't lay down. Um, and, and who would have thought, I mean, even when I was going through the chemo before this started, I thought about that scene in, in Dances with Wolves when he has to ride through the crossfire to get out. And he just opens his arms and lays back on the horse and he doesn't get hit. And he just surrendered to the, the chaos and made himself vulnerable and, and rode through it. And that's what I kept kind of picturing in my mind. And I kept calling it warrior training. Um, and I think that that's what the shift is demanding of all of us, quite honestly. I mean, yeah. yours is an extremely dramatic example, and I'm honestly deeply empathetic and sympathetic to the amount of, um, obviously, of pain, um, both emotional and the physical uh, illness that you've had to navigate in this process. I mean, certainly it's no, it's certainly not the kind of chaos that anybody would ever choose, and I obviously uh, wouldn't ever choose it for myself or any, or anybody else, but you can also mm-hmm. see the, to the metaphor that you just gave with lying, the surrender and the lying on that horse, that it's in the course of the chaos. It's only through the chaos that the clarity can emerge. And again, it's because of the shift in many ways that the banks can function as such anonymous predators, as, as such inhuman um, robotic machines, right? As you, when right. the world was a, was a smaller banking system, uh, there was right. a, an actual human being that you could have that you would have a relationship with um, to deal with this. And I'm I'm sh- I'm sure that a part of your experience was that whoever, if you ever, there, on the rare occasion you were able to even deal with a human being, you were rarely, if ever, dealing with a human being who had any authority or responsibility for your situation. It was instead frequently just somebody that was there. Um, to, you know, to, to, to take phone calls and who had no power or authority, that type of consolidated force is a function of the shift. The thing that's amazing about your story is on the other side of all that suffering is your willingness and ability to get up and uh, won't forget getting up yet. 
to surrender to what was happening and allow yourself to move to the next place in your life where you're not only able to defend yourself relative to, again, the primal need for something like housing, but also provide your story to other people in a way uh, that can, going back to our first caller with Marie reach rescue and restore and and i I, you know that's obviously the theme of this first episode of the weatherman is obviously reach rescue and restore whether it's on the on navigating isolation and addiction or whether it's uh, organizing around human trafficking or whether it is navigating uh something like uh dealing with the banks in the context of the foreclosure uh crisis it's it's all comes to navigating the dark forces of the shift, surrendering at some point, and then mm-hmm. finding a way to reach, rescue, and restore uh, and move through it. Lainey, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you so much. All right. A um, couple callers to go here. I am Dylan Radigan. I am the weatherman. This is an intense episode of the weatherman, a little more intense than I expected. Not that I mind it. Not that I mind it. I actually find it uh, incredibly uh, profound. And I think that if you look at what the core of the shift is, the shift at its foundation is a profound experience. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I actually probably, I would, I would be willing to guess that if you're listening to this podcast, let alone if you're a caller in this podcast, you have had a deep and profound and resonant experience with the distress and the darker forces of the shift, however they are manifesting in your life, and you're probably uh, in some part of navigating through that reaching, uh, a rescuing, and restoration phase, or at least fishing for that, if not uh, already arriving to that. Our next caller is Howard Switzer. Uh, Howard, apparently you, you saw the uh, Jimmy Dore interview uh, from last year. Uh, where are you tonight uh, or this afternoon, Howard? Well, yes, I did see you there, and I am uh, here in the boonies of Middle Tennessee, uh, just due south of Clarksville, about uh, oh, look at that. Uh, double the miles. double Tennessee. <laughs> but you're, yeah. do you know Dee Marie? No, I don't. But I'm glad to hear she ran for Congress, and I think that a lot of people need to do that because uh, yeah. we need an ethical Congress. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly where you are in Middle Tennessee, but I. Uh, when I was in university, I was on a I, I was on a sports team, and and my I was very excited for my freshman year spring break, until I found out that well, my freshman year spring break was going to be spent training doing two a days in Middle Tennessee, uh, which was not <laughs> the college freshman Dylan's version of spring break. Although I did uh, ultimately find it a remarkably beautiful and spectacular. Place. So I actually, I'm not sure exactly where you are in Middle Tennessee, and quite honestly, I'm not exactly sure where I was in Middle Tennessee. Um, but I know we were, I know we were in Middle Tennessee, and it was, it was, it was uh, uh, a, a beautiful place. So I, I have some sense of, of, of where you're at. So what's on your mind? Why are you calling the weatherman? Well, I was calling the weatherman because I wanted to talk about the money, and I've heard you talk about, uh, you know, the financial system and all. And I wanted to dig down to the root. Now, we've okay. heard a lot of uh, great discussion from people. I'm really uh, impressed with the show so far with all the uh, kind of conversation that has gone on. Uh, my personal experience uh, 
came through, uh, well, I guess you may say in the 60s, because I'm 74 years old. So okay. I dropped out in and turned on, you know, and and ended up on a collective community in southern middle Tennessee, about an hour from here, called The Farm. And uh, we operated on principles. We didn't have a plan. We were intentional community without a plan. We just had principles. And one, and some of those principles were like, as you mentioned, blame. And we, we saw blame as a um, on a continuum with praise. So we would say, you know, no praise, no blame. <laughs> or, or no sentimentality, no cruelty. And because yeah. uh, what we found was often you would have uh, – both ends of that continuum involved. Um, well, can I, can we my, just stop on that? Because I, I was actually yeah. exploring this exact subject with a friend of mine just a couple of days ago. There's so much, you know, if you look at the shift as an absolute event, right? This sort of, this switch that is this hyper acceleration with all this horsepower. And you look at the expression of the shift as really being derived from where we're vibrating, where our, where our state of consciousness is at the time. So if we're in a really, if we're in a low vibration and a low state of consciousness, which again, so much of our society and so much of our own time uh, is spent in that fear-driven universe. But when you're driving in that space, then the shift just accelerates that energy and that darkness moves faster and harder and it's more and more damaging, right? At the same time, when you're in a higher place, that shift sort of moves it to a much higher and more potent place in a, in a in a way that's very very rapid. And there's part of what we were talking about was when we allow ourselves to live in the throes of the emotions. When you when we allow ourselves the emotions to grab hold of us and basically drag us down the river. Our, when we allow our thoughts and our emotions to drag us down the river uh, of all the things that may happen, could happen, did happen, shouldn't happen wouldn't happen and that it's in that in that dragging down that in, in that emotional river drag is where blame and praise lives right because it's, yeah well you gotta it's, it's your fault i'm getting dragged down the river or, or <laughs> thank you for saving me from the river what's that howard you gotta get yourself a kayak and get some control here you know, exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. We don't need to be getting drugged down the river, but uh, you, you cert we certainly are being drugged down the river, and that's that's kind of why I got into the money because I see that as the leverage point in the system. You know, uh, Donella Meadows talked about the leverage point, uh, and it's that that point in a system where you change one little thing and the whole system changes. The and uh, variable uh, in our economic system, that leverage point is money and it's uh, we have a for-profit private monetary system right now that concentrates wealth and centralizes not just wealth but everything else it centralizes population it centralizes energy production uh food production and all of that kind of stuff and uh and i've heard you mention decentralization before and you really won my heart there because uh sure. decentralization is one of the most important things that we need to be doing and of course the first step in the financial system uh, of course you have to kind of be working from both ends so i'm you know my heart's with the grassroots also but we've got to be able to um, wrench the power away from uh that uh elite who um and i, I say wrench I, I i should say we got to convince them to give it up <laughs> they they or have may or, or maybe power. or maybe or maybe we just have <laughs> to allow it to dissolve 
or allow it to dissolve, right? Which it may be doing, right? Because when you're introducing and, uh, the conflict energy, this is this is. I'm going to speak to you from my heart, Howard. I completely understand. Yeah. You're talking to you're talking to a man who spent a portion of his life uh, going to a TV studio in Midtown every day. You know, <laughs> right? Yelling bloody murder. All of I was all about the wrenching and the conflict. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I actually think it's the surrender. And the allowing to dissolve and the refocusing of the attention away that has more power and more value than a lot of than a lot of folks may realize. Can I tell you a quick sidebar and then I'll let you I'll let you finish your story. But there's a, the, one of the stories that really strikes in, that stays in my head is when the Western powers redrew the map of Africa and deliberately uh, drew the map in a way that forced warring tribes to compete over power and resources inside of um, arbitrarily drawn countries as a, a CIA strategy, I think they call shatter and paralyze, um, which is sort of mm. wh why the Middle East is drawn the way that it's drawn, why Africa is drawn the way that it's drawn. And really part of the reason why we're getting so much blowback now, because obviously with the shift, the capacity for what was once it contained, the idea was if we let them fight amongst themselves and we'll never hear from them again, which was a rational thought from a strategic intelligence standpoint, although murderous and dehumanizing. Um, but with the shift and the capacity to project out asymmetrical risk, obviously uh, that has failed terribly. But the, the mechanism that Nelson Mandela promoted to resolve the mapping issue in, in Africa was not to go to war or to go into conflict with uh, the mapping system as it was, but rather to look at the migratory patterns of the herd animals of Africa and start to draw a second set of maps that was the natural flow of the herds and the, and the flow of water and all those things. Anyway, the point is there's that there is a choice there, which is to go to war with the maps as they are, which ultimately only girds the forces that defend the maps or it was to ignore those maps and cultivate a new set of maps that is completely uncorrelated to the legacy mapping system and in the process allow those maps to dissolve now i'm not saying that that has had huge success in africa up to this point but at least as far as the intention or the spiritual principle there i think has, has meaning well, I think you're right that there is a spiritual dimension here, but your spiritual dimension can't just be thoughts and and and, and thinking. It has to be action, too. What do you thought for and, me? Uh, but not, I'm not not violent action. Of course, we're not talking violent action. That's uh, the farm is not a, a violent uh, organization. It, we lived in peace in the uh, what you might call the Book of Acts ideal or the Marxist ideal, which was you know share and share alike and and take care of one another, which we did for about 10 years uh, before the bank, uh, FBI got involved in our bank and dissolved our, uh, our loans so that we, uh, we had to kind of, everybody had to <laughs> go to work or something to get us out of trouble. Work. And uh, which we uh, managed to do, but it ended the collective experiment and turned us into a cooperative. Uh, but which is okay and it's still going and still out there educating people and that's what our group is about too is educating people about the money because we feel like if everybody understands the money then when it dissolves no problem 
we can just create more money on how we do it at a local level. Because Got local it. government, you, you learn the story of like the Wargle in, in the 30s in Germany. Uh, yeah. Operating on Silvio Gassel's principles of uh, of uh, demurrage currencies, you know, it was amazing. They did two and a half million dollars worth of public projects in uh, fifteen months with six thousand dollars. Incredible, you know, because of the velocity that was turning over constantly, uh, going back into public projects, and when that happens, you you turn from a uh, and an economic of greed to an economics of care, because what happens is people start because your money's worth more in the future now instead of uh, like the current system where it's worth less in the future. And so people started investing in the future. And of course, that's what happened in the central Middle Ages, too. They had a demurrage currency, and that's why all those cathedrals got built. They got built by the people, by villages, little villages of 50 people would build a cathedral that would seat 150. You know, they were thinking of the future. And, uh, and, and so long-range thinking, when we turn this system around, we start getting long-range thinking. Well, we also start eliminating what we're living under now, which is usury. And usury is like the mother of all uh, sins. It's the sin of sins because it causes the seven deadly sins. <laughs> you know, we have our, our greed and uh, what... Uh, Avarice, you know, you, we were we were talking about anger, wrath. That's one of the seven deadly sins. Anger, because it causes yeah. so much damage. And you know, just me. And I think got about that anger. Time. Think about that anger. <laughs> think about that anger, Howard. In the context of the shift, think about how dangerous that anger is when it's heart when it's now attached to the to the the capacity of the shift. Absolutely. And so that's why it's really important to make uh, those in power feel loved, <laughs> not hated. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, They're listen, love. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, the very forces of the shift that can accelerate anger are the same forces that can accelerate that love. I appreciate your calling in today, Howard. Enjoy your afternoon in, uh, in Middle Tennessee. All right. All right. You bet. Thank right. you. All right, all right, thanks, Howard. Um, our next caller is, is actually a, a, someone that I met a number of years ago when I was at MSNBC. Um, runs a, a group of folks, so, so a group of entrepreneurs down in Austin, Texas. Um, his name is Joel Bush, and uh, Joel, it's nice to nice to see your name on the call sheet for the first episode of The Weatherman. How are you? How have you been? Very well. Very well. How are you? I'm excellent. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice uh, yeah. in this context. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are you in Austin now? I am standing in Austin. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Well, good afternoon to you in Austin. Thanks a whole lot. Um, yeah, you should come back. When can you, when can you make it to the back deck again with us? I don't know. Sooner than later. I've been, I've been changing cities every week for a while now. So it would make sense to get Austin on the itinerary. You know, we would love that. Yeah. I don't remember when that was. You were on a book tour, so it's it's yeah, been a while. Yeah, maybe 2011 or 2012, seven, eight, nine years ago. Yeah, awesome. We still meet every Friday. You, you that's well. I guess you're called the regulars, so you're true to your name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So what what do you what's on your mind? Well, I wanted to hear from you. Um, what what's going on with this? This is a a cool idea. I've I mean. 
going back to then, one of the regulars, uh, several of them, um, were fans of yours and your show and had seen a lot of your commentary and that kinds of things. I mean, they would watch you every day. Um, already I had, I was, when they mentioned you were coming to town, I was aware of who you were just because, um, the kind of viral force of some of, some of your clips was, uh, was powerful. It had reached. And so you were on a book tour, um, where, and some of the folks, I guess on Twitter, um, back when it was useful this way, I started asking you to come by and, and I think I was with you then too. Y'all came by. Yeah. Yeah. You, you were on a tour, you've run for office. I also, um, did see you pop up with Jimmy Dore at a show and then like an extensive interview with him, but there's lots of holes. You were in San Diego. There was, there was, I don't even know what, and now you're in Italy. So, um, what is the? I mean, I'm in Italy today. I was in Spain yesterday. I was in Moscow a few days ago. I was in Turkey a few days before that. I was in in Asia last month. I mean, I'm, I don't. I, there are a variety of obviously non-broadcast projects that I have been working on for years that I'm I'm just not prepared to talk about publicly at this point. But they're all yep. go to the basic this, this the the same basic principle, which is uh, to manifest sort of the higher aspirations of the shift, whether it's in, you know, basic materials or the movement of money or the development of uh, real estate. I mean, anything that has to do with infrastructure and materials and sort of adding momentum and moving resources in a way that uh, is, that is sort of is more beneficial, less destructive has been where all of my attention has been, is, and will continue to be. And then along, along the way, uh, you know, we thought maybe it would be nice to to at least experiment uh, with a with a, a a talk radio style podcast like the one we're experimenting with today, and kind of see where it goes. Um, you know, I, I have been obviously not in in any public way for some time, and because I travel the way that I do, and 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 will continue to travel the way that I do, doing something in front of a camera is really out of the question for me because doing something in front of a camera requires that you go to some fixed location on a regular basis and talk to a camera, which is simply or not have a part crew of and all life that. right now. Yeah. What's the, what's, what's guiding the travel? Are you, are you having fun? Are you, are Oh you, yeah, no, no, no. Work? I'm saying that the, the travel is being guided by, um, the opportunity and the effort to marshal resources, um, to help things change. But again, these, some of these things are, are in process in a way that I, over time I'll be able to talk, more about what's manifesting, but all the travels work related. Um, and it, it's just more non-public work at this point in time, but it's, but in the process, um, it's also something that's given me a, a remarkable perspective, um, for the commonality of the human experience. You know, I mean, you, for, for everything that you guys talk about in Austin, uh, you know, there are a bunch of guys and, ga- and gals just like you in Bangkok having the same conversation about it, just a different set of uh, situ- tools. Oh, I'm I mean, sure. I, I, met, oh, I'm sure. I met with a, a bunch of folks in Hong Kong uh, just last month and it was the same story there. I mean, it's it, the thing that, that, that thing, the thing that really has struck me or about this experience um, while I'm traveling for work is have is me, in meeting and interacting with so many different groups of people that would are superficially couldn't be more different from one another by virtue of, Time zone, climate, race, uh, language, 
you know, on and on. And yet how universal the reaching for some sense of universal suffrage, sovereignty, creativity, connection, meaning, purpose, relevance, help, agency, agency, um, from Bolivia to, to Beirut, right? It's, 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 it is actually an incredibly, so it goes to that. It's, it's actually antithetical to the very sense of isolation that one of our early callers was talking about. And that to me has been the most striking aspect of all of this travel is the, is the sense that there is a total, whether it's a Muslim nation, whether it's a Buddhist nation, whether it's a Christian nation, whatever, whether it's a mountain climate, a lake, whatever, whatever, however you want to try to slice and dice humanity and however different humanity may appear to be, that the, that the, that the foundational, that the common foundational aspiration for that agency that you just referenced is, has been striking and resonant for me in a very material and tactile way. And that was really one of the things that led to uh, the desire and the interest just to experiment with a conversation like this one. I love it. So, um, and now what you want to do is reach out to people and maybe shake the tree a little bit, wake, wake yeah, people well, up I just read, and, I just and reveal, I just, reveal yeah, that I, thesis to them by, by showing them. Yeah. By showing them and allowing them to hear you, allowing them to know that you exist in, in Austin, in Austin, Texas. And that you're, yeah, we're still, and just for the, not a, not to self-promote anything. I get nothing, you know, mercenarily out of it, but the regulars is simply, I started telling friends I was going to be at the same place every Friday morning about 10 or 11 years ago now. And so I just keep showing up and other people started showing up. And so it's become a thing and it has no purpose or agenda, no speaker, um, you came by once. We call we call folks like you the irregulars, who can stop yeah. by occasionally. Um, but the regulars just kind of show up, and we see what happens. Um, it's you, you say entrepreneurs, and that's true. And, and I suppose because we're meeting on a Friday morning, to be able to be there, you've got some kind of latitude over your schedule. So you probably are entrepreneurial in some sense. You're not working a line um, as you know as much as you are kind of you can set your own schedule a little bit but it's all kinds of folks. Um, and it's all kinds of eighties from, you know, 20 to 80 really. And that kind of thing. And so for people out there, I guess, if anybody happens to be in Austin in your audience, they're welcome to come to Mozart's on a Friday morning. Um, yeah, well, I mean, again, I also, think, it, it, yeah, go ahead, Joel. But also, well, well, wherever anybody is, I think if you just start doing that and the spirit of it is it's free, it's open to the public. Anybody can come, we can talk about anything. Um, and so, I think wherever people are, if they just kind of um, uh, put, you know, turn the light on, sit down at this little beacon light, and just say, "Hey, I'm here. Any, there's no strangers. Come sit and talk with us," um, and do it um, on some kind of regular schedule. It doesn't have to be weekly, but just some kind of regular schedule where people. That was important for me too. Is it's very lightweight. There's no RSVPs. There's no. Is it going to happen or is it not going to happen or is it going to move around and where is it this week? It's always right here. Um, you got a place to come and be heard. And all kinds of cool stuff has happened um, because of it. That's for sure. What are some of your favorite examples before I let you go? Of just Well, companies have, started for, companies have started for sure. Um, the, uh, and people, people come consistently to, to find work 
you know, hey, I'm looking for a job. That happens. Hey, I've just moved to Texas. I've just moved to Austin. I've heard this is a place to figure things out. Um, I mean, absolutely, people have undergone career changes, um, and it's all over the map. And we have some of the best regulars now, like, and when I say best, I mean, like, like the most consistently regularly attending folks who really pitch in and contribute, who happen to be sitting nearby within earshot and just kind of got swirled into the thing. Um, so that's pretty cool. I was also going to ask you, I'll have a chance with what you're talking about. I'll drop you an email too. Have you, have you heard of or, or read any uh, Wendell Berry? No, I haven't. So he's a farmer. He's in his eighties. He was like a, I think a, a, a poet laureate or something such. He's an essayist, poet, um, uh, novelist outside Louisville, Kentucky. And so he, he, I'm sure you've heard of Michael, Michael Pollan. He's yeah, of kind course. of the rural Michael, Michael Pollan. He went back home. He went to Stanford and maybe at NYU and he went back home, but he has this essay written in 1969 called think little. Um, I'll send you a link to it. it the whole thing's going to resonate with you. It's like hard to believe that um, he nailed it that long ago and your term, the shift, obviously, um, since 69, we're further along these curves of technology and currency and uh, regular, all kinds of stuff. Government, yeah, All the horsepower is uh, maxed out. That's right. But this guy kind of called that shot. He, he had a famous um, throwdown at, I, at some university uh, auditorium with the then head of the Department of Agriculture, I think. And that became his book called The Unsettling of America. And the reason, the reason I know about him is my business partner here at Amplifier, still doing the Amplifier thing. Um, he and his wife are filmmakers, and she, uh, two documentaries ago, she had a movie called The Unforeseen about Austin and Barton Springs, um, and, the, and not beating people over the head kind of documentary with conclusions, but really artfully asking questions. And it was, how, do you, how does a place grow and not lose itself, basically? Uh, with Barton Springs and the and the fight in the 80s um, here in Austin between the environmentalists and the development community, um, capturing that. The unforeseen is a, that, that word comes from a poem that Wendell Berry read for the film. He doesn't really appear on camera much, wouldn't appear on camera. But then he agreed to let her do a movie about him. And she the, the, the next movie she did was called Look and See. And it's really about his work. Um, He's deeply interviewed, but wouldn't appear on film, just, just the audio, but it's a wonderful piece. And, um, he's so about community and scale and kind of natural rhythms and such and accountability, like, like personal accountability. Um, I'll send, I'm, I'm no scholar. I'm barely, I don't even, I haven't even read all kinds of novels. Or anything. So I, I'm, not, I'm not a Wendell Berry, uh, expert, more like a tourist, but, um, it's just enough that I'll, I'll send you kind of a, yeah, well, a why, you know, what I know. Why don't you put it up on the Facebook page for everybody's benefit. If you, if it's a link of some kind, I'll have a friend do that. I deleted my Facebook account about seven or eight years Good ago. Good for you. So God bless you. I'll get, I'll get it up there. It's great I've to hear your voice. Seriously. We did this. I turned, I, I basically abandoned Facebook until we sort of decided to launch this, uh, weatherman podcast. I feel you. It's, it's almost, a, it's almost, uh, you know, it's a uh, silly for me from a marketing sense, not to, not to be there, but, um, well, but I'm not a, in my, such a beast. I mean, listen, can we just talk about it for a second? They're listening to everything yes, we're doing. They're watching everything we're doing. 
They're pumping all these ads at us. The whole thing. I mean, I can think of, I mean, listen, there's a lot of really dark manifestations of the shift, but Facebook is as dark as it comes, man. The, the, The fact that we have allowed that, no, forget allowed. The fact that we pay money to have these organizations, these corporations literally have a camera and a microphone on everything we do in the room and then program content to us based on that uh is incomprehensible yeah it's incomprehensible to me it's harrowing my i loved instagram i thought it was beautiful and the reason like that was one of zuckerberg's better strategic moves was to to buy them it seemed hilarious to buy something for a billion dollars that had zero revenue ever but they conquered the mobile interface and it was so fun but if you go to instagram.com slash joel bush right now you will see a photo of a my handwriting that I did at the regulars. Um, I literally on the back deck of Mozart's there found out that they sold the Facebook and I wrote in my book, sorry, Instagram, I don't let Facebook on my phone. At that time I still had a Facebook account, but I just wouldn't let it on my phone. It was already creeping me out. So I took yeah. a picture of that little, little note. I haven't deleted that account. And, and to, I'm not, I'm no, I'm not trying to uh, stand on any purity either, by the way, because I still wrestle with this. Like, should I go back to all these services? Because per your point and the conversation you've had with everybody so far, and a couple in particular, they bring tons of utility. There's, it is the paradox of uh, that intro paragraph of a tale of two cities. Right. It's the best of times. Right. Well, yeah. The worst of times. Yeah. And it's the shift, right? The shift at its, at its best is this hyper-connective, hyper-elevating, hyper Wonderful stuff. Standing thing, and then at the same time, that's how I know you. That's how I know you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So listen, thank you, sir. Hope to see you soon. All right, thanks for being part of the first episode of the Weatherman. One caller to go. All right, thank you so much, Joel. Thank you. Um, One to go here. I'm going to wrap up the Weatherman. Uh, Before we do, I want to bring in uh, Milo Venucci. Milo, are you there? I am. Thank you so much for doing this and experimenting with um, something that probably needs to be experimented. I'm looking at this kind of like a a version of direct democracy, which I think is the latest, uh, the biggest problem we have now, the conflict between our economic system and democracy itself and redefining and what defining what democracy is. So uh, what, what you're doing is just fantastic. What, that, what, 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 is, what does that mean for you, what you just said, Mila? Well, what it means for me is I don't have all the answers, but I know that we probably, in fact, if the ideas I'm going to express to you shortly uh, pan out, maybe I would we'd get a group of people together to actually write more than a handbook of democracy, a an actual uh, fact book and uh if any country that calls itself democratic, if they go outside those boundaries of what democracy is, like having the military choose candidates or having rich people choose candidates, they're, they're not allowed to call themselves a democracy and could be prosecuted internationally for it. These kind of crazy ideas are possible with the kind of thing you're talking about, because I'm envisioning uh, two parts to this. One is the podcast part, which you and David, who I've followed for many, many years, David's Perhaps the world's expert, certainly in the United States, for how military spending in this country is completely and totally out of control. And uh, David DeGraw is somebody people should follow, as well as Dylan Radigan. And um, 
I'm agreeing with what you just said about Facebook. So what's the answer? We have the podcast that's that's uh, more centralized, that's a little bit top down, not quite. You're you're doing more than anybody else has to try to make it not so top down, but there's a kind of inevitability to to the centrality of what it, uh, of the the idea that you're projecting. But you 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 have a second part to this from my reading of your your proposals here, and that is um Creating community and creating community is uh, really, I think, a separate and distinct project from the podcast project, because creating community, I think, is where we all get bogged down and try to figure out how do we do that? Well, Facebook has an answer, and it's what I call a managed. It's a managed social enterprise. It's managed as is all of these social. They're managed by the top, just like our elections are managed. But. To do it more direct democracy um, requires some other kind of technical um, approach. And the only thing I've seen so far, and this is where I'd love to you know, ask you what your thoughts are and other people, and, and that is a wiki. There's a great little video everybody should see. Maybe you can link it somewhere. It's called Wikis in Plain English. And it explains how a wiki actually works to get projects done. Um, those of us who will probably listen to this are activists in various ways. We've done various activist uh, things. I've done all my life. I go to conferences. You spend money to go on an airplane, to go to a place where everybody gets together. You listen to speakers, and it's wonderful. You get, you know, you get with like-minded people. You feel community. Uh, and then everybody goes home and then wonders what to do next. And my um, my question really is and and possible solution but with a lot of other aspects to it is is it possible maybe to create a kind of new technology along the lines of wikis to um, allow a whole series of bottom-up sort of direct democracy approaches to the various subsets of problems that will inevitably come up from this kind of Massive community. I mean, you know. Yeah, and, I, and it's interesting that you bring this up, Milo, because this is something that David and Meg and I and a group and others have been talking about going back to when I was working at NBC uh, eight or nine years ago. The the answer to your question, first of all, your idea, which is that using the podcast as a beacon to basically reveal a, a potential community. Um, of, of people that are even interested in conversations like this uh, or in an experiment like the one that we've begun with, with with the weatherman it'll be interesting to see how this sort of plays out over over the, the days and, and, and weeks and months ahead but that that community obviously uh, uh, any podcast or any conversation of any kind has limitations in its capacity to then transition that engagement into anything that actually manifests into some a, a more concrete material reality, and the, and and we and Meg and David and, and myself and the others have been talking about a piece of technology that that would be another experiment in trying to do exactly what you're talking about. And so, um, our hope over the next year is to actually start to to experiment with some technology that can convert the very the very types of communities that this represents and that you represent and that we've been talking about to it to do exactly that so i mean it's a long-winded way of my saying is to my answer to your question is for sure there's a piece of technology that can do it 
Um, I don't know whether we have it or not. I, I, we don't have anything right now other than an idea, uh, but I'm sure uh, that that, the, that technology can facilitate that level of engagement in a way that it can not only organize around ideas, but it can organize around ideas in a way that actually creates an architecture for the deployment of capital and expertise around very specific goals and tasks to bring it into material reality uh, in, in a way that is not in that, in, in that top-down um, mechanism. So I, I, I believe that you're bullseye uh, with that. Uh, and I think it's just a matter of time and, and, and look for an experiment to come from uh, Meg, David, and myself and the others. And I'm sure there are plenty of other people out there. I, even I, Joel Bush, who was on with us just a few seconds ago from Austin, Texas, uh, has talked about experiments in this, in this exact same space as well in, in the past. So uh, I think for sure it's there. I think that, that this podcast, what we're experimenting with here on The Weatherman, may represent an opportunity to advance some of those experiments. We'll all find out together. Uh, but I for sure believe well, uh, that, that, it, that, it's, that it's there, Milo. Well, I think you're, you're, what I would say is, is along, you know, you basically you want to create a demand. And to me, if you create the demand, the technology will follow. Um, right. I mean, even right now at MIT, uh, Tim Berners-Lee, who is basically the founder of the Internet, is presumably very dissatisfied with the way the Internet has developed. And he's working there, from what I understand, to try to develop an Internet which is more uh, democratic and more people-focused rather than what it eventually has become, which is kind of a advertising uh, corporate kind of uh, takeover thing. And I'm not sure where he is in that process, but maybe you have contacts at MIT or something that we could see whether he's in this space at all somewhere. Maybe this would be something that he's already working on. And yeah. um, I, I, this is what I'm, you know, I, I don't know that. I, I just know what I've read about him and, and what, you know, what he's been doing. But that's the kind of thing that I, I think could, could be very helpful because it, it's one thing to go to like I, these wonderful conferences, you go and you go home and then, you know, say what's next. And, and I think that as this happens, as people can be in their communities and find like-minded people and say, okay, we can work on this. It's just a simple example of what's so horrifying about the, the way that people, I think, tend to, to like already direct, direct democracy. Here in Florida, and I'm calling you from West Palm Beach, um, they, the, the Supreme Court just recently ruled that it's okay for the legislature to tamp down the referendum voted on by 60% supermajority of Floridians to give felons the right to vote once they've served their terms. So they said it's okay to make them pay their fines first. The Supreme Court ruled that way. And uh, so that led to the legislature and the courts tamping down the direct democracy of 60% of Floridians who I would put a lot of money on the fact that if they were polled individually and said, do you think this is a good idea? They would say, no, they're absolutely, they're flaunting and they're going against what we actually voted for. And I think this is happening everywhere. The, the, these, these crooked, corrupt uh, politicians, and now even the courts, um, we need to have uh, people-powered answers to it, and hopefully this might be a first step. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to stick with you, and um, and they keep watching and listening, and uh, I've enjoyed all the previous callers, and 
and and enjoyed the thing. And I think it's your, this thing is going to going to work. I'm just, yeah, well, I'm just hoping that we've been translated as you say. You put it much better than I did about how how that can be uh, be brought into people's lives. Actually, where um, people aren't sitting home alone and 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 and, and doing Facebook posts, but actually, phone. yeah. Actually, even you know, working to get, working on on a wiki or on some other kind of thing, where they're actually talking to other people that are working on the same project locally to try to get something something done. Like in this area, right where I'm at, there's there's homelessness. People are sleeping yeah. on a sidewalk near here where I live, on sidewalks, sleeping on people, human beings sleeping on a sidewalk. I mean, it just it's disgusting. In the richest nation on earth, is it just outrageous? Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, the experiment has begun. You're our last caller of our first episode. You will go into the Hall of Fame, Milo, along with uh, uh, Dee Marie, who was our first caller of our first episode. So I really appreciate your time this afternoon. I do hope you're enjoying uh, your afternoon uh, in Florida. Uh, and uh, thank you for giving me a chance to uh, offer myself up to serve as our weatherman uh, as we, as thank we you so much. go to this experiment. All right. Thanks, Milo. Uh, and that, that'll do it for this experimental podcast called The Weatherman. I am Dylan Radigan. Um, thanks to all of our callers for participating uh, in today's experiment. And thanks to all of you uh, who are listening to today's experiment. Uh, feedback is obviously the future. So uh, all thoughts, all questions, all comments uh, are welcome. Uh, maybe we'll take a break from blame and praise. But if you have creative ideas, about how to use the shift and how to how to convert the darker forces of the shift into lighter forces. If you have thoughts on how to reach, rescue, and restore uh, within your community or uh, within uh, the country, uh, no, don't just share them with me or with uh, with with you know my evil and cursed Facebook page, which I obviously have a mixed emotional relationship. Not even mixed. I don't like it, but it is the means of distribution at the moment, and so I accept it. Um, but it's the sort of thing that can be shared uh, within any section of any community anywhere in the world. Uh, and I strongly encourage it. I strongly encourage conversation around the existence of the shift. It does exist. It is a real thing. It is. It has happened. Um, and it's only in absorbing the impact of that shift that we can even begin uh, to both understand the darker forces and surrender and move through them to the lighter forces that are actually much closer and much more powerful than we may recognize. I am Dylan Radigan uh, with you tonight from Italy. I'll be uh, back in the States next week. Uh, Meg Robertson, thank you so much for helping get this first edition up uh, out of New York. And David DeGraw, this doesn't exist without you in Los Angeles. So um, on behalf of David, uh, Megan, and myself, I am Dylan Radigan, and we will be back on the air with the weatherman on Tuesday of next week here on the Cursed Facebook at 4 p.m. Eastern time. I think I'll feel better about using Facebook as a distribution platform if I always refer to it as Cursed, although that is rather judgmental and blame-driven of me, which is somewhat contradictory of the very value system that I am um, advocating, which goes to the very paradox of the shift, which I myself am learning to navigate. I am Dylan Radigan. I am your weatherman, and we will talk to you next week, 4 p.m. Eastern.